for being here. We're currently in a series called What You Want or What You Really Want. And I've said previously that the ultimate answer to that question or the one word answer is the word peace. What we all want is peace in each area of our lives. And while there are many definitions for peace, the definition for our purposes is this. Peace is that inner state of calmness and tranquility that comes from knowing that God is, that God, there really is a God. But more than that, that God cares, that he cares about you and he cares about me as individuals and that God will always keep his promises. If God says he's going to do it, he will do that. Here's what Jesus said not long before he left this planet to go back to the Father, John 14, John 14 27. He said, peace. I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give, give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And we said that out of that comes principles upon which we base this series. The first principle is this. The gift of peace comes from a right relationship with God. It doesn't come from well, I just don't care what anybody has to say. Let them say whatever they want. I'm going to depend on me. And, I don't, and, and I will, I'll have peace that way. But that doesn't work. It's based on a relationship with God. And that leads us into the next couple of thoughts, which is this. We were designed and created by God. God made us a certain way and when we function the way God designed us, things go better for us. And so the second part of that principle is we can only be right and find peace when we do things the way God designed us to do them. When we try to do things our own way, uh, they seem to work for a while. It seems like they should work, but they simply don't work. And so we've been applying this principle to, uh, to practical areas of our lives, we've been talking about family because there's nothing on this planet that's more important to us than family. And so what you really want, family, peace. You want things to be right and to go well in your family. The main thought that we took from week number one is that there's this dynamic between what's ideal and what is real. We can't give up on the ideal the, the best way for things to be just because it may be unattainable for us. We keep shooting for that. And then last week, we examined the subject of mutual submission in the family, how it, how it applies to each member of the family, and specifically, because that's what scripture talks about, how it applies to the wife. And we talked about the question of mutual submission. The key to a great family is for everyone in the family to be willing to ask everyone else in the family the question, which is, what can I do to help you? If everybody asks that question, because it's really not so much about who's in charge, although there has to be a hierarchy of authority, not so much about who's in charge as it is, what can I do to help you? And today we're gonna move on to another aspect of the family. We're gonna talk about family conflict. Uh, I've subtitled this re resolution versus winning. Uh, it doesn't, you, you just can't win in family conflicts. You work them out, you resolve them. That's what you want to do. 
Uh, or another subtitle could be, everybody doing it, you know, we'll just do it too. Everybody doing it. Conflict is something that all families have in common. You cannot have a relationship with another human being without there being conflict involved. I don't care how much you love them. I don't care how close you are. I don't care how you work on things. There will be conflict. We all fuss and fight sometimes in our lives. And you might have learned this here. If you haven't, uh, you need to. When you win an argument in your family, you really don't win anything, right? You, if you win, you put the other person down, you prove them wrong, you haven't won anything. When you win an argument in the boardroom or the courtroom, there's a reward. But when you win an argument in the living room or the bedroom, you really don't win anything. You may have the satisfaction of feeling that you put the other person down and you prove the other person wrong, but there is no win because the conflict is not resolved and the relationship is not helped. And that's what we want to do is make the relationship better, not win, not put ourselves over somebody else. Now, one of the things that makes conflict in the family a little bit more complicated is, is there seems to be no rules uh, in, involved in it. Uh, there's no judge who says, you win and you pay up. It doesn't work that way, right? Uh, you may feel like you won, but it, it doesn't work. In addition, we all, we process this kind of thing differently. Some of us are peacekeepers. Now, without going into what's the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker, uh, some of us just want peace at any price. You know, there are some relationships where one person in the relation just will do anything, agree to anything, as long as we don't fight. I, I don't care what happens as long as we don't fight. Uh, and that don't work. That's, that doesn't resolve uh, conflicts. Uh, then there's the sulker. You know, some people are sulkers. Uh, the bottom lip, lip sticks out so far that you can sit on it. And when you ask what's wrong, nothing. I'm fine. And then you get an indeterminate amount of silent treatment time. You know, maybe you'll know exactly how long it lasts, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Then there's the stuffer. The stuffer just has this painted on grin. Everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's wonderful. And they, they just internalize everything and shove it down. Uh, then there's the one that wins a lot without really winning anything, the litigators. Uh, they're the ones that always believe they're right and they can prove it. And if you try to go against them, they will bury you with the evidence and they will bury you with the argument. You just cannot get a word in edgewise. There's the screamer because they grew up in their household. Whoever was the loudest won. And so the screamer, and there's a lot more. There's the crier, the shamer, the guilt provoker, all those kinds of things. But there's there will always be conflict. There's nothing abnormal about your relationship if you have, you get cross with each other every once in a while. That's what it means to have a relationship. But here's the one thing I want you to take away from today if you don't take anything else. There is only one source of conflict in the family, only one reason that there's ever conflict in relationships or in a family. There are many ways of dealing with the conflict. There are many responses to the conflict, but only one source for the conflict. And if every member of the family could understand this, accept this, uh, and, and deal 
with conflict at the source, there'd be a lot more peace and understanding in the family, and the tension level would go down considerably. Now, to help us understand what is the cause of conflict and how do you deal with conflict, we're going to look to one of Jesus's half-brothers. His name is James. He eventually became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, that first church, and he wrote a letter, uh, and it's included in our New Testament with James's name on, just called the book of James. And one of the questions that he answers in this letter that he wrote is this question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? James has a reputation for being a very practical man and he addresses the subject of what is true religion. How do you really serve God? And he answers this question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? So what is it that causes fights and quarrels in your family? Because my husband won't do what he's supposed to do. That's what it is. Because my wife can, doesn't know how to say, I'm sorry. Because my husband isn't caring and romantic. He just wants to watch television uh, all the time or he just wants to play sports all the time because my wife spends too much money. That's what the problem is because my children won't clean their room up. They just clean their room up. Everything would be fine because my parents don't understand me. You know, I don't know how they got to be so dumb, so ignorant in time. He doesn't listen. You know, my roommate's so irresponsible. My boss steals my ideas. My kids are irresponsible. My neighbor's yard's always a mess. At the bottom, uh, we blame conflict on everybody else except ourselves and we think we have all of the solutions now do you know how many family problems have been solved by placing the blame on somebody else zero that's right good good answer zero have been blamed never will you hear your your uh, husband or your wife say thanks for blaming me honey i feel so much better about things now doesn't work that way, right? Does not work that way. Many of you have probably discovered this truth. As long as you blame others for your unhappiness, you will always be unhappy. As long as you blame, it's somebody else's fault, then I am unhappy. And every time you say I'm unhappy because of him or I'm unhappy because of her and what they did, you put your happiness in the hands of that person with whom you're in conflict. And you let them control your lives. Life, if you would just do this, I would be happy. If you just stop doing that, I would be happy. As long as you blame others for your unhappiness, you will always be unhappy. Playing the blame game never accomplishes anything for anyone. So if you don't want to put your happiness in someone else's hands, listen to what James said, the brother half-brother of Jesus. We're just going to read through this and then we'll take a look at it a little bit more closely, okay? James chapter 4, verse 1. He wrote this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? That's a universal problem, right? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Fights and quarrels, by the way, the word fights means like a war and quarrels are the battles within the war, so the big things and then the little things in between. Verse 2, you desire, he says you want things, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, verse 3 says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives 
that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. We're going to look at these verses and draw from them three truths about conflict resolution, beginning with this, beginning with at the beginning. James takes us right to the heart of our conflicts. What is the, the root cause, the heart of all of our conflicts and therefore the heart of our unhappiness? James chapter 4, verse 1. James wrote this. We just read it a while ago. What causes fights and quarrels among you? And we're tempted to say, well, there's no one source, right? Uh, there are a lot of answers. But James says, well, there's really just one general source of all conflict. And you have to understand what the source is if you want to resolve the conflict. And so James chapter 4, verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And then he continues. Do, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? The they refers to your fights and quarrels. So what James is saying here is that fights and quarrels come from your desires that battle within you. Now we've talked and, and fairly recently about the fact that all Jesus followers have a battle that goes on inside of them. We want to do the right thing. We kind of know the right thing, but it, 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 something else just comes up inside of us and we want to do the wrong thing. The Apostle Paul uh, discusses that, the best discussion ever in Romans chapter 7, but he says something like, for I know that good itself doesn't dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. I know there's still something in me that wants to do the wrong thing, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I do not carry it out. And so James says that our conflicts come from selfish desires that battle within us. And we say, no, uh -uh, no. The problem in our family is because of something that's inside of that one over there or because of something in, in beside, inside of that one. But James says, no, that's really not the way it is. And I think most of us understand that if we take more personal responsibility, regardless of what, what the situation is, but now we're talking about conflict in the family, if we take a little bit more personal responsibility, the tension level would go down. And so James continues in verse 2. James 4, 2, you desire, you want something, but you're not getting it, but you do not have. Every time you've had a conflict with anybody in your family, there's something that you want. Now, we might respond by saying, it's not just something I want, it's something I deserve. It's something they owe me. It's something they promised me. It's just a matter of common courtesy that they would do this. He promised, she promised, we have a marriage contract. It's not just a contract, it is a covenant. And he owes me some things or she owes me some things. It's a vow. My kids signed this thing and they said they were gonna do this and they don't. And, and some of that's true, by the way. But the fact is in every conflict, there's something, right or wrong, I'm not talking about right or wrong now, there's something that you want and you don't have it and you didn't get it. And so, back to James 4, 2, you desire, but you do not have, so what do you do? You kill. Now, next step is murder. <laughs> Remember that James is talking to church people, not prisoners here. So, sometimes our desire, our feelings of being cheated do lead to murder. I mean, there are killings within families, but this is probably what we call hyperbole you know, which means exaggerated statements or claims not meant to be taken literally. Make you feel like you want to kill somebody, 
You're willing to kill relationships to get what you want. Now, how do we kill? Well, with most of us, there are things we want so badly that we're willing to hurt people we care about the most in order to get them. Uh, and you know what it's like. If you don't care about somebody, they don't bother you that much. But it's the people that you really love the most and who love you the most that you get into it the, most, the hardest with. Some parents are willing to kill their relationship with their children because kids won't do what the parents want them to do. Now, I'm not saying you should let your, parent, your kids do anything. We're going to talk about that next Sunday, by the way. We're going to talk about raising kids next Sunday. But, you know, we, we see men destroy uh, their wives' self-image or women destroy their husbands' self-esteem just by the, the ugly comments they make to and about each other uh, in public. Some of us have killed or, or almost killed our relationship because, uh, you know, other relationships just because we didn't get what we wanted. So we try, to, we try to criticize somebody into submission. We try to shame them into doing what we want them to do. We, we belittle them because they're not satisfying our needs. And we did this because of something we want. And, and, and they either wouldn't give it to us or couldn't give it to us. Sometimes we can't tell the difference. And we often say, uh, I'm only doing this for your own good. Jean loves it when I say that to her. <laughs> I'm just doing this for your own good. Uh, sometimes we, we convince ourselves of that. But the heart, this is the heart of our conflict and our unhappiness, which leads us to the second thing, just the continuation of that. Selfishness is the true reason that we quarrel and fight. Selfishness. Now, we want something, we're not getting it, and we're going to use our words and our actions to get it. I want to say, I'm not talking about wars between nations here. I'm not talking about people that break laws and governments that are authorized to uh, arrest them and try them and convict them. That, we're talking about personal, interpersonal relationships here. Whether you deserve what you want or whether you don't deserve what you want is secondary to this discussion, by the way. It's important, but it's secondary to this discussion. We're going to get there in a minute. You want something from somebody else, and if you want it badly enough, you have the potential to kill or to destroy them. And the whole time, you're fussing and you're fighting and you're belittling, you're saying, it's them, it's them, it's them, it's them, it's them. And James is saying, well, it might be a little bit of you, of you, of you, of you. It may not be all of them, of them, of them. Can you imagine how much better our homes would be if we just applied that one truth? Is that, okay, it's not all them, something that is me in here there's some selfishness we want something we're not getting it so we fight James 4 2 continues you covet but you cannot get what you want so you quarrel and you fight I sometimes do pre-marriage counseling that can be a little bit frustrating by the way because I got this couple and they're madly in love with each other and they think they have all the answers to everything. And they're just, they're just going, well, we know that applies to a lot of other people, not to us, because we love. We're in love with each other. And we're never going to have any kinds of problems because we love each other. And I'm trying to tell them, yeah, well, I agree that you do love each other. But believe me, there's a few bumps in the road ahead of you. There's some problems that are going to come up. And one of the things we talk about is conflict resolution. How do you resolve conflicts? And I have this manual 
I didn't write it, of course. Somebody that really knows what they're doing <laughs> wrote the manual. Uh, a couple of guys by the name of H. Norman Wright and Wes Robert, Roberts wrote a, a marriage manual called Before You Say I Do. And in that, they give six principles for conflict resolution. Let's just run through those. I'm not going to talk about every one of them, but we will stop on one or two. Number one, uh, Norman Wright and Wes Roberts say when a conflict arises, instead of demanding that you be heard, number one thing to do is listen carefully to the other person. Now, listen implies that you are not formulating a response, you know, that we, we're just listening so that we can attack. That's not listening. Listening means that I am, I am trying to empathize with this person is saying and understand where this person is coming from. Number two, select an appropriate time to resolve a conflict, usually not when you're hungry, not when you're tired, not when you're already mad about something else. Number three, define the problem because a lot of times we're talking about different things. Number four, <clears throat> define the areas of agreement and disagreement because you might be surprised how much you agree. And that'll help you get to the disagreement. Then here comes the hard part, right? This is the one we're working on. Number five, identify your own contribution to the problem. What, uh, if there's 100% and I'm only 1%, but what is, what is my contribution to this problem? Almost every conflict involves contribution from both sides or from multiple sides. And when you accept some responsibility for a problem, the other person tends to have a greater willingness to cooperate and is usually more open to discussion. Not always, but usually. And this is where you really start to apply James's principle. This is where you say, well, part of this problem is that I want something and I am not getting it. Principle number six is this. State positively what behaviors on your part would probably help. In other words, I could do this. And be willing to ask the other person's opinion. Watch out for being defensive when you do that. Now, the other person, when approached like this, is more likely to admit that they are also a part of the problem, that they want something that they're not getting. But what if they don't? <laughs> and they won't always. I've been in some pretty serious discussions where I just confessed everything and the other person said, good, you know, you're guilty. <laughs> They left, okay, well, hey, I, I, I can't control the other person. I can only control me, and I can only do the right thing. But it's not fair, it's not fair. They promised. We have a marriage vow. They're my parents. Of course you understand, life is not fair. And God never promised fair. If God gave us fair, we would all go to hell for our sins. That would be fair. I don't want fair. I want, I want grace. I want mercy. I don't want to go to hell for my sins. And besides, we're not overly interested in fair except as it, apply, as it applies to us. You ever drive around in the Walmart parking lot or whatever? I'm there as little as possible. But you ever drive around and there's no place to park? Right? And you're one of 20 that are just circling. And somebody backs out of the primo spot just as you pull up. And you're looking and there's all, all those other people driving around. Do you beat on your steering wheel and say, it's just not fair. It's not fair that those other people don't have a place to park. 
You say, thank you, Jesus, that you helped me find this park. You pull right in, go into Walmart, right? You don't care if it's fair. How many times, I don't have anything in particular call in mind, by the way, but how many times has a bad call cost the other team a victory and gave your team a victory? Did you say, that's not fair, they should have won. Let's just let them have the game. No, you said, well, that's life. You win some, you lose some. We won, that's what, and you walk away happy, right? It, it, we're not really in, that interested in fairness except when it applies to us, fair or not. Part of the problem is that you want something and you're not getting it. I want something, I'm not getting it. That's the reason for conflict. And if you base your happiness on that, you're gonna be miserable. You're gonna live a miserable life. That is the heart of conflicts and unhappiness. It is selfishness. And so there's just one more thing to talk about, and that is, here's what you're supposed to do, right? Here's what you're supposed to do about that. Here's what James says at the end of verse two, James 4, 2, he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Before you go roaring down the hall to blow somebody out the door, before you fire off that angry email, before you give them a piece of your mind, before you sulk and walk out of the room, before you yell and scream to gain control of the situation, before you try to send them on a guilt trip, have you talked to God about this particular problem or this particular situation? Have you spent any time getting to the root of what you really want from that situation? Has it occurred to you to get down on your knees and say, God, I want my husband to make more money <laughs> than that he's making. Uh, I, I want my husband to pay more attention to me. God, I, I want my teenage son to get better friends and clean up his room. God, I want my, my daughter to break up with that idiot that she's been dating. God, I want my dad to do this. God, I want my mom to do this. God, I want my brother to do this. God, I want my sister to do this. Have you paused? Think about this. Have you paused to discover what you're trying to squeeze out of your family members? And have you taken that to God first? Before anything else happened, have you taken that to God first? And you may discover, by the way, that what you want from that person, they're not even capable. They can't even do that. You know, they're not, not within their wheelhouse. They can't even do that. And then James goes on to say this in verse 3, James 4, 3. When you ask, you do not receive. Sometimes you ask, you don't get any. God doesn't give it to you. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasure. pleasure. So you passionately go to God and you, you, you say what you want from your family, what you want from your husband or your wife, your son or your daughter, your mom, or your dad, whatever. There are times when God won't give it to you because it's just all about me, you know. It's all about me. I, I just want this to get settled for me. And then there's times when it's not the right thing to happen. I don't know why. I'm not God. I can't answer all the questions. So if there's no guarantee that God's going to Give me what, what I want. Why do I even go through this process anyway? Well, the answer to that is because 
as long as we do it our own way and we try to squeeze what we can uh, out of the, our other family members, we're going to have conflict and we're not, not going to be happy. We're going to be unhappy and there's going to be turmoil and all the bad stuff is going to happen. But when you finally surrender the issue to God, he is always going to give you the wisdom and the peace that you need to deal with that other person, even if the conflict continues. Yes, there is a time to talk about all of this with the people that you're having conflicts with. But after we surrender ourselves in our situation to God, and once we do that, the tone of our approach anyway will be different. Now, in the ideal family, you know, there's the ideal and there's the real. I live in a real family and you live in a real family. We don't live in an ideal family. But in the ideal family, men and women seek to know God and they seek to know God's will for his life. And in that kind of a family, potential conflict is taken to God before we fight about it amongst ourselves. It starts with me going to God and saying, Father, before I start this conversation, before I confront her, because some things need to be confronted. Before I address this issue with him, because there are issues that must be addressed and, 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 and they have to be addressed openly and honestly because there are real problems and real issues. But before that happens, I just want to recognize what part I play in the problem and, and what I'm trying to get from my family. And Father, I want to acknowledge this, Ultimately, I can only, whatever that is, I can only get it from you. Attention, love, mercy, grace, number one, whatever. Ultimately, I can only get that from you. So please give me the wisdom to seek you in everything. And I want to leave you with this thought right here. You can't always get what you want, but you can get what you need. And what we need, you and I, is grace and mercy. What we need is to God give us good things that we don't deserve, and we need God not give us the bad things that we do deserve. Uh, your family is worth it. Family is worth it. Don't destroy others. Even if you're, even if you're right, even if you're right, don't destroy your family over it. Relationally speaking, by the way, the best defense is all right, Rusty wanted to say a good offense because that's, what, that's true in sports, right? The best defense is a good offense. But relationally speaking, the best defense is no defense at all. That is, at least not being defensive. That doesn't mean you don't state your case and talk about what hurts you. It means you take responsibility for your part and you're not defensive about it because, because family is worth it. Because there's nothing else as far as relations our relation with God, of course, number one, but on earth, nothing else is more important than that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our families, <clears throat> people that we're related to because, by blood, people we're related to by adoption, people we're related to just because they've cared so much that they involve themselves in our lives. Please grant us your grace, please grant us your mercy, and please grant us your wisdom resolve the conflicts that exist in our family.